0: Earlier in the monologian, for example, in chapter 32, Anselm has talked about parallels between the rational human mind and the divine, if you want the divine mind, just the divine itself. The rational human mind is able to make an image of itself, for itself, it does so whenever it thinks about itself, and it's thereby similar to, although actually more patterned after rather than, you know, providing the pattern for the the divine word, which is turns out to be the second person of the trinity, there turns out to be this, this whole economy that's going on, and something that's going to follow out some of those ideas in chapters 66 and 67, which is what we're talking about here. But now the framework is no longer in terms of trying to just draw a short little parallel like that. It's rather that we can use the human mind, which is what we're equipped with, right, to understand at least to some degree, the divine. And this arises in the context of his discussion about the divine as being ineffable, but being approachable even rationally, through the use of images. So the question then that he begins with in in chapter 66 is, well, what is the best image to use? Should we, say, look at creation and use that to understand God? Or should we perhaps, as good Augustinians, look within and think about our rational nature? So Anselm says, that in order to better understand God, it's going to be a more useful strategy to look to what is more like God, right? Don't look at atoms or even God particles, if you like. Look at things that we think have more in common. You could say, well, what what actually participates more in the divine attributes? And so, well, what is it, he says? It's certain that one comes closer to to knowing him through that which is nearer to him because there's more like him. What uh, among created things is shown to be more like him, must be more excellent by nature. So, what is more excellent by nature? We've talked about this already with the degrees of being. Rational nature, right? So he says, because of its greater likeness, such a thing gives more help to the investigating mind in coming closer to the supreme truth. And because of its more excellent created essence, it more fully teaches what that mind ought to believe about the creator. So, if we pick the better object, we're going to make more progress in understanding the divine. Well, the rational mind is the only creature that rises up and seeks God that actually asks questions about God. I mean, you could say, well, maybe the birds and the bees are, you know, part of some divine plan, but they don't think to themselves, is there a God? Isn't there a God? What is God like? They just go and do their their thing, right? So Anselm says it's evident just as the rational mind is the only thing among all creatures that can rise up to seek him, it's no less true that the rational mind is the only thing, notice what he says, the only thing through which the mind itself can best make progress in finding him. He's not saying it's the only thing that we can make any progress, but if we want the best strategy for understanding God, we should look to the rational mind. Now, he also tells us something else about this, and this is very, very interesting. This should make us think about a turn within, you know, for example, the Cartesian cogito and the notion that by looking within, we're going to understand things. Anselm says that self-knowledge, and not just self-knowledge about, you know, your body, but self-knowledge primarily about your mind, is going to be very productive. So he says, what is more obvious than this? The more diligently the rational mind tries to come to know itself, the more efficaciously it rises up to know him. And the more it neglects to look upon itself, the more it falls away from seeing Him. An implication here is that inadequate ways of understanding yourself, or you might say less than truthful ways of trying to understand yourself, are actually going to be impediments not only to understanding oneself, but to understanding God. Insofar as we're not entirely what we want to be, we are the obstacles standing in the way of understanding the Divine. In chapter 67, he's going to bring this home. And he says, look, the mind is, as we can call it, a mirror for itself that's one way to think about its reflexivity. The mind is able to think about itself, right? The, the body can can touch itself, but the body can't think about itself in the way that the mind can, right? The mind can move the body. The body, of course, can, can mess with the mind, I suppose. But the mind has this reflexivity running through itself to, to its very core. Anselm talks about having an image of what it is unable to, to see. Actually, let me read that phrase because it's, it's so nice. He says, the mind is, is said to be a mirror for itself in which it might see, if I may put it that way, the image of him who it cannot see face to face. For if the mind alone among all created things, and then he talks about these three key activities, let's call them, or functions of the mind, memory, remembering, understanding, intellect, And loving, amor, love, right? Those correspond, as we've seen before, to the three persons of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're in an economy of all of that. The human mind actually does all of that with itself. Or at least it can do that with itself. It can remember itself. And as a matter of fact, it does so a lot of the time without us really being all that conscious of it. It can understand itself. It can reason with itself. It can make sense of things. It can love itself. As a matter of fact, again, at least on some level, it probably does that without us even thinking about it. So he says, If the mind alone among all created things can remember and understand and love itself, I do not see why one would deny that there is in it a true image of that essence, who through his memory and understanding and love constitutes an ineffable trinity. So this isn't a concept of the divine as such, but by reflecting upon what it is that our mind actually does, we're able to have an image of the workings of the trinity pretty, you might say, optimistic notions on Anselm's part in comparison to other Christian theologians and philosophers. So it says, or certainly it proves itself to be more truly his image by the fact that it can remember, understand, and love him. So not only does it have these operations in relation to itself, it can also direct those operations to the divine substance as well. That sets up this interesting uh, set of relations within the human mind and down here on paper, the product of the human mind. So he says that by which it is greater and more like him is that by which it is more recognized as a truer image of him. So he says it's altogether impossible to think the rational creature was naturally given anything so preeminent and so much like the supreme wisdom as its ability to remember and understand and love that which is the best and greatest of all things. No creature was endowed with anything else that thus displays an image of the creator. This is distinct to rational beings. They are able by virtue of this reflexive relationship, to grasp the divine in ways that non-rational beings cannot. And they can grasp themselves in relation to the divine as well. So, again, this is still working with images. This is not revealing what the divine is in its ineffable, mysterious, incomprehensible self. But it's getting about as close as we human beings can get to it, according to Anselm.